so much happening in the NBA right now. Yeah. I feel like I, I feel like we say that every year, but it's like always something. No, new. this is like actually a lot more stuff that's happening recently because you got new teams that are surfacing, putting themselves on the map, and you have two unicorns going at it from the same like rookie year, technically speaking. So they already have a rivalry, which makes their teams in the future have a rivalry as well between two of the youngest franchises in the NBA. So it's like a budding rivalry brewing in front of our eyes that we're getting to see. And relevant teams from last year aren't making as much noise, like Sacramento, for example. Everyone thought they'd be like a top three, top four seed, including us. And they're nowhere to be found in like the seeding right now. But at the same time, it's still really early. So you can't really deduce conclusions because like we're going to talk about the Warriors. They're 9-11, and 11, which puts them at about 11th right now. And they're obviously going to end up making a run for their money because of their championship DNA and 50 other things. So why not get into them on today's episode? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, no, you should talk about Orlando. I, I think that like they're making a lot of people surprised and their defense like you're going to get into is the main culprit behind that. Yeah, I mean, it was also, you know, they went on this nine game win streak, which Brooklyn ultimately ended last night uh, in pretty dominant fashion. But I mean, the Magic, they made an incredible nine game win streak, beating the Celtics, Nuggets and Bucks, all of whom are considered, you know, contenders to some extent or another, you know, for the Bucks and Celtics in the East and the Nuggets in the West. But, you know, that defense really stifled. I mean, I watched the Celtics Magic game in full. They really stifled the Celtics offensively with their singy defense. And they've gone from like, you know, a bottom five offense, you know, last year and at the start of the season to, you know, a middle of the pack team. Like they can score. I mean, you even had like Mo Wagner putting up like 27 on the Celtics. Um, yeah. So they're a very interesting team because they're like such a young crew and their defense is so strong and defense is like a very important part of winning a championship um the question for the magic of course is you know what can they make of that regular season success and ultimately since we're only like a quarter of the way through the regular season you know how long can they sustain this war like is this you know an anomaly or is this something they'll keep up for 82 games you know maybe Mm -hmm. even make a playoff run and win their first series and i honestly don't even remember how many years it's been a while since the yeah magic no the magic season. hasn't made any noise in a minute so like i wouldn't i, I, blame I read you a, for i read knowing. a stat which you may or may not like but uh like tatum as a celtic has won more playoff games than the magic have in their you know career yeah, As dude, Jason Tatum joined like a winning franchise, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Like they've been winners ever since he got drafted. You can argue when Jalen got drafted a year before him, but ever since like the late 2010s, Boston's been super relevant and they've been to more playoffs. I think they've played more playoff games than any other team in the East without a championship showing for it. Like the Raptors, they were yeah. also really good in the same time period. And we kind of had like a budding rivalry with um, Boston, but not really. Our team was Philly because Lowry's from there. 
So like it was always him and Embiid, and then you had Gazelle blocking Embiid, and we actually got on a show for it. So with this team you guys have right now, with the top net rating in the entire league, if you don't, I don't know if you will. So it's I'm not very... surprised that Tatum has that stuff. No, I 100% agree. And, you know, I want to make sure we get to other stuff during this episode. But, yeah, the Celtics are an interesting team because they don't always play their best basketball, but yet they have the best record in the league right now. Uh, They currently have the ninth-rated offense, although really it's tied with the Phoenix Suns right now at eight, technically, the number Mm -hmm. two-ranked defense uh, behind Minnesota. So they're a very interesting group. It, it, it's definitely reassuring as a Celtics fan to see that they can like not play their best basketball or have guys out and still win. But obviously, you know, come playoffs, they're lingering concerns. Um, I, I, I would definitely you say that we're second place after Minnesota. That's actually amazing. For, um, the yeah, for the defensive net rating, rating. Yeah. Like that Drew Holiday pick uh, pickup is showing to be more valuable than I would have anticipated. Like the second best defense in the entire league is insane. I thought you guys would struggle more on defense because of the new personnel gelling together rather on offense because everyone on the floor is like a bona fide scorer at this point or like an overqualified catch and shoot player. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. That's that's insane. Like, you guys are definitely going to make a deep playoff run this year. And I, like I said, if you don't win it, I mean, it's honestly a bigger disappointment than the joy you're going to get when you do at this point. I, I, to- I totally agree. Um, <laughs> I definitely have concerns. Uh, you know, specifically their offense does stagnate sometimes. But obviously, I'm also a very big fan of what the Celtics have put up so far. And I'm very excited to see how the rest of the season goes. Um, but yeah, yeah definitely, I'm, I'm, I definitely, I want to stop. I want to talk about the, the Timberwolves later in this episode, specifically when we talk about teams that have surprised both for the better and for, for worse. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. There've been some very interesting, uh, results bad core the way through the season. Um, but the magic are a very interesting team. So of course we have this new in-season tournament. I, I'll be honest, I, I'm still kind of figuring out how it works. Um, what was very interesting was... Well, the uh, quarterfinals start tomorrow. They so. start tomorrow. It's so like the Celtics yeah, play the Pacers. Um, exactly. What was very interesting is the Magic, you know, they had this crazy eight-game win streak, but you know what? They're out of the tournament. Mm. All because of point differential. Yeah, yeah, um, I heard about the Celtics, that. Because yeah. the uh, Celtics... Celtics had a blowout win of, I believe it was like 32 points on the Bulls last week. And then and... the top three teams in that group had 3-1 records, so it went to the point differential. Yeah, that's why you had like the hack, uh, who are they hacking on the free throw line that game? It was Andre Drummond. And Billy, yeah. like the Billy Donovan, Chicago's coach, actually was complaining about it because they were up like 30. And he's like, why are you fouling Yeah, hacking Andre Drummond? It's like because they need the point differential like that's how the yeah. in-season tournament works and and you kept your they, starters in even late in the fourth with a 30 point lead yeah and they and they of course they did on the guy who shoots like 50 percent from the free throw line it's like mm-hmm. it makes sense but as for the magic you know this in-season tournament aside i think i think for them it's really can they come together as a you know as a unit you know in march and april 
you know, once a, and also once the playoffs begin, it's, you know, it's easy for a team to start off strong. Like a uh, good examples, like last year, Portland, San Antonio, both started five and two, you know, in October, but then, you know, the rest of the season hit. And I think at one point San Antonio was like eight and 21. So it's like, you know, your fortunes can turn really fast. Yeah. Just like they're doing right now, kind of, they've been on a crazy losing streak recently and the Wembenyama hype train slowed down a lot, right? You're seeing Chet Holmgren playing so much better than him on better shooting splits. And people mm-hmm. are figuring out that he's the one running away with the rookie of the year, early year uh, race so far, when the narrative was the exact opposite when they both got drafted. Yeah, so maybe that's actually a good segment. Maybe we should like, maybe we should talk about some of the teams that have surprised us you know, again, for the better and for the worst. Um, if we want to dig into one team along with the Magic that have been, you know, surprisingly good Maybe, team. Maybe uh, the top the team in the Western Conference. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, crazy. definitely the Minnesota like, Timberwolves. Who, who would have thought if you asked them when the season started that 20% of the games played so far, Minnesota would be number one in the West. Like, nobody would have said that. If you bet on that, you would have been a millionaire. You would You could have retired for the rest of your life. That's how shocking that is. But yeah, which team were you also mentioning? I was also thinking the Oklahoma City Thunder because right of them. how Chet's playing and you have one of the very best guards in the league in SG and SGA Shea Gilligas Alexander, mm-hmm. you know, continuing to play in MVP contender form. Um yeah, I think he was yeah, fourth I think on the also- NBA's list for the top five for MVP so far. So he's definitely making his name heard. He's already a bona fide star because he made first team all NBA last year, which I still think Devin Booker should have gotten. But I'm gonna that's a it's a talk for another time. Uh, you can't take away anything from SGA though. He literally cooks every single play. His opponents don't know how he's gonna score because. He's the definition of a three-way player. He has every single spot on the half-court setting where he can score from. He can scorch you from three, or he can dance on you a little bit before he gets a midi, or he can zip right past you and get like 50 different kinds of layups to fall. So like, it's really pick your poison when you're guarding SGA, and he's definitely leading OKC to the second-place spot in the West. And then you take into account their toughness and their resilience. You had a team led by arguably the best guard in the game today in Luka Doncic that had the definition of the word momentum in their entire arena once they literally scored 30 straight points. And then the Thunder, which were scoreless for, what, three-fourths of the fourth quarter? Like, Mm -hmm. literally almost 75% of the quarter, they didn't score, won that game. They scored 10 points in the last few minutes when the Mavs stagnated after having every single ounce of momentum on their side. That shows you that even even though they're the second youngest team in the entire NBA, they will run and outrun you and outpace you like the Pacers do on offense. But Minnesota, sorry, OKC does it on both sides of the court all the time. And they have a little bit more energy because SGA kind of has the higher usage rate than uh, Tyrese. Even though Halliburton does have the ball a lot, he is a more willing passer and a better passer than SGA. 
but obviously not to take anything away from SGA because this is the NBA. So at this point, it's like ounces of differences in the talent level. But nonetheless, um, Tyrese is a more willing passer, so he has a slightly lower usage rate. So they run more plays off the ball on offense. So I think that's why they have next to the dead last rating in defense for Indiana. However, when you look at the situation in OKC, it's mostly their top players that are handling the ball a lot so they can rest on offense, the rest of the team, which makes them run around all the time. So teams like the Lakers are getting blown out by OKC because they can't keep up with them. You have a 40-year-old trying follow, to keep up with 22-year-olds. Do you follow uh, Kirk Goldsberry on Twitter? Um, he no. He's infamously, every like two weeks or so, puts out the uh, NBA efficiency landscape chart. Um, yeah, what does it say? So like the December 1st edition, so a couple days ago, you know, which usually only factors in like the last 10 games, typically um, the number one net rating in the league actually goes to the OKC Thunder. So, there it is. you know, kind of contrasting the Pacers and Thunder, both of whom I think have been overall pleasant surprises exactly. throughout this year. We'll, uh, we'll talk about Tyrese Halliburton a little bit later in the episode and some of the, you know, things he's doing because he's really putting on a clinic. I, you know, he's, Climbing the MVP race He's ladder. Definitely a dark well. horse for sure. For um, sure. You know, we'll talk about his 27 points per game and almost 12 assists per game, which, you know, those are crazy stats for a guy to be putting up. He was great last year, too, but, you know, yeah. that offense has really ascended because it's historic. of historic. It's um, historic. Historically great offense. Um, but looking at OKC, they have the number one net rating including the number one defense over the last 10 games. Um, so OKC is a really balanced team on both, you know, they perfect word for also it. Have the number six offense. Um, so they can score, you know, again, you the rebuild SGA. is done. The rebuild has been done. We are witnessing the efforts of Sam Presti, OKC's GM, which has personally been called out by LeBron to be one of the best GMs in the league, make his work come to life. You literally saw this team in the trenches when they traded away Russ, PG, the entire core they had from the 2010s, and they're already this relevant again. That shows you how you truly don't need to end up tanking for that long to become that relevant again. All they did was be mediocre for a couple of seasons. They even got Chris Paul and made a title run with uh, a playoff run during their rebuild like mm-hmm. that's insane it's a very well-run balanced team like you said and i and think we're they're only bad the latest they're report. only like bad bad for one season right or like two seasons i mean yeah. even last year they at least made the play in you know exactly. following a very strong uh end to the 2023 season but that's kind of the thing about okc and with chet you know healthy this year which he wasn't last year and that was a big missing piece for huge the thunder huge missing piece um like they're a very well balanced team and I-, I think that's something that makes them very scary come playoff time you know if they can sustain this and keep everyone healthy you know they're they're a balanced team they can beat you up with scoring or they can tire you out yeah you know, from the defensive side force you to take tough shots you know take away your your the best elements of your game on offense and they're just going to keep up with you. They're going to keep running every single possession. They never give up. 
every play they have a hustle play opportunity they capitalize on every 50 50 ball they run after the energy they bring out to that court is insane like i saw it firsthand against the lakers it was just not a competition from the beginning of the game we were getting outpaced every single possession and maybe i think three or four minutes into the first quarter the game was over you saw every time they tried to cut back into it, their suffocating defense would essentially stop the play from materializing. And then SGA would just run. And he's like a modern day Russell Westbrook back when he was 22. You just don't stop him. You don't stop seeing him run. And Russell Westbrook, which he should get a shout out this episode at 35. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been the biggest Westbrook fan because I don't really like the archetype of players that don't know how to shoot that well that are more athletic I just kind of personally enjoy seeing like people dribble shoot pull up like Paul George KD but that's aside that's besides the point now I'm becoming more of a Russell Westbrook fan because of his mindset and the approach he brings to the team he's on He's always the first and last one into and out of practice. And he's always going to give you 100% on the court, no matter how dumb his shot selection is. You can't blame him if he literally just goes back and gets the block on the other side of the plate. And that's what he's been doing. He's been forced to settle into such a new role for him. And keep in mind, this is somebody who's, I think, the third amongst active players in scoring or... uh, amongst uh yeah it's something like that where he's like he has over twenty five thousand points which is ridiculous like we don't appreciate that I think yeah I think he's after uh LeBron KD and Harden and scoring amongst active players like we forget that he was the 2017 MVP of the league average triple doubles for two seasons like this man is a star it doesn't matter that he doesn't know how to shoot he can run an entire team he is the system just like Harden said Russell Westbrook is also a system and he is a better person than Harden in this situation because of his willingness to adapt to the team's needs for them to end up succeeding whereas Harden came with his like super childish demeanor calling himself a system on a team that he barely just got to enjoying smirking after losses because he knows they're going to need to lose before they figure it out. Whereas Westbrook's coming up to the coach volunteering to come across the bench. And now I see him setting screens for guards and rolling. He's literally playing a center at six, three, which is blowing. Like he used to be the guy who initiates the pick and roll and throws the lob. Now he's catching them because of his willingness to adapt to whatever the team needs to succeed and we're going to get into it a little bit more later like we said uh after Harden got there they're about six and eight so they're slowly figuring it out but not to digress too much because it's just kind of blowing my mind how all of this fits into every NBA team kind of giving you a little surprise in terms of what you expected versus what you're seeing this point into the season no, I totally agree. I'm, I I do want to delve into Westbrook's leadership on the on the court because what you mentioned of him volunteering to come off the bench is actually something I wanted to mention because, you know, some people had said, especially when Westbrook was MVP, like, oh, he's very he's very self centered. Like, it's about him. Like, he wants to get these, you know, he wants to make sure he finishes the night with a triple double. But now, like, you know 
even it's though I, I would personally put Westbrook in the starting lineup over Harden for the if I were the Clippers, if I were Ty Lu, you know, he's You'd have volunteering more pace, to not better do defense. That. He's literally volunteering the opposite. He's like, look, if if you guys want Harden to be the guy, like I'll come off the bench, I'll do more facilitating, I'll do more pick and rolls, you know, and I'll try to find ways to alleviate my you know, less than ideal shot selection, you know, especially at this point in his career. Um, mm-hmm. And I really admire that about Westbrook. Um, Very respectable. Uh, maybe one other team. So we, we've talked about the magic. We've talked about, we've mentioned briefly the Timberwolves who along with the number one defense, you know, kind of like the magic, they have a serviceable offense. You know, they have guys like Anthony Edwards who can just pop off on every, and on any given night. You know, you can get paint points from guys like Rudy Gobert, who will also give you, you know, a lot of contribution on the defensive end. I think Gobert actually has the best individual defensive rating. You know, obviously, See, like that's true, and I agree with you. But the problem with Gobert is the playoffs, not the regular season, because yeah, when they yeah. play a different team every day and it's the regular season, it's not that much preparation that goes into the game, and after the game, nothing really matters. Whereas when you're playing the same team, like in a potential seven game situation over and over and over again, that's when Gobert's defense becomes a liability because they start targeting him on shooters with small lineups. I totally, I totally agree with you. And you saw that when he was back on the jazz as well. Um, you, you know, so yeah, let's when see I say if this, this when translates. I say, when it, exactly. I mentioned this purely off of, you know, what we've seen so far in this regular sure. season. Obviously, the playoffs are way different. We talk about that when we mention, you know, can the Magic sustain this hump. run and, and get over the hump and win a playoff series? It's it's kind of the same thing. Exactly. You know, except the difference is Rudy Gobert is more of a vet, whereas the Magic are, you know, a lot Up of young players. They're led yeah. by a second-year, you know, star in Paolo Banquero. Um you know, they have a lot of great defensive pieces, although I did see that Terrence Ross retired this week. Yeah, and he went to the game. Unexpected. He went to the second game after he got retired. Like the very first opportunity he had to go to a game he did and he got honored. Super wholesome moment. It was, but I, I think the Magic, they'll be an interesting team too. And then the Pacers, of course, they're led by by Hallie, Tyrese Halbert. And, you know, I'm very excited to see what they can do. Uh, um, Hallie's definitely one of my favorite players. That's absolutely not, um, easily my Celtics. Easily. You can't not like him. You can't. Yeah, you know, great facilitator, great scorer. He, he's insanely efficient too. Like he's insane. He's like KD. She's fifty-two percent from the field, forty-five percent from three, and has like a sixty-three percent true shooting percentage. It's just crazy. One other team that I find very interesting, although they're very hot and cold, I would say, is the Houston Rockets. Yeah, true. Because their offense is, I would say, slightly below the Magic and Timberwolves. I think they usually rank around, you know, 20th, give or take a few spots for offensive rating. But they do have a really good defense. Um, And like OKC, they're a very young team. You know, they're probably ahead of schedule with their development. Um, Of course, the Rockets are led by a very good coach in terms of basketball in Ime Udoka, which I know is a Celtics fan, of course. <laughs> um, 
I'm not going to get into the other stuff related to that. (laughs) um, Yeah, it just shows you, though, like a good coach can really have an impact on, you know, especially a more defensive-minded coach can have a really positive impact on a team in the Rockets the last two seasons where they were at the bottom of the league. You know, likewise had, you know, probably a bottom three or four defense. And this, you know, as of this recording, they're in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, they're currently six. But, so I think, you know, I don't see the Rockets being more than like maybe a play in team this year because of how young they are. And yeah, they still have a lot to learn, especially on the offensive side Honestly, of the ball. Honestly, maybe not even because the West is so crowded. Maybe they might be in like that 11th spot they could be come playoff time but they could like squeeze into nine or ten so they they definitely could and you know i would also say like you know some of the young guys still have a lot of learning to do like jalen green's been having a really rough time lately um he has kind of been unlocked so to speak because he's being used a lot more off the ball now than asking to take on like more of a playmaking role where he's putting the ball on the floor before attacking the rim and so and so he's actually depicting the perfect two guard role next to fred van vliet so i think that getting a traditional point guard kind of help unlock him in certain situations i think he's being a lot better than he was being last year development wise so we're going to continue to see him kind of play into his new role and kind of take that to the next level which kind of reminds me of Clay, like, to be honest, like that two guard who kind of had the opposite start to the season. He wasn't really shooting well. And recently, if you count his last five or six games, he's over 40% from three, just like his usual self, back to around that 19.5, 20 point per game mark. So honestly, people are kind of giving up on players like Clay, which dumbfounds me, astounds me, right? Because this is like one of your corner pieces from a dynasty. Like we're not talking about a championship team. We're talking about the longest tenured player to play for any team behind Steph Curry at this point in his in the mm-hmm. NBA. There hasn't been any player that stayed with their team outside of Joel Embiid longer than Klay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green. And people are going as far as to hate on him for having a slight slump in the beginning of the season. And keep in mind, this is Clay Thompson taking like 99% contested shots. And he was still shooting 36% from three, which is kind of respectable in today's NBA. Like if it was 1% higher, it would be good. And that's him shooting in a slump and people were hating on him. So I know we didn't really have that as part of the episode, but I kind of just wanted to bring it in there when I talked about um, the Houston Rockets' off-ball movement and kind of depict how Clay's back and that he shouldn't really be receiving all this hate because of a minor slump that he's in. Like news outlets literally going as far to say, oh, it's time to move on from Clay Thompson. Like, who are you, Kendrick Perkins, to say that you should literally trade Clay Thompson? Like, there's going to be a statue of Clay Thompson one day outside of Golden State, and you were an NBA journeyman. Like, what are you talking about? And then you have people like Stephen A. Smith saying, oh, this is less than a slump. This is more than just a slump. Like, what do you mean? I'm sorry, Stephen A. Like, did you shoot 36% from three in college when you were being contested 99% of the time, taking dumb shots like Clay does sometimes? I'm sorry, you didn't even make it past that point out of college. So please don't talk about (laughs) Clay Thompson like that. It's just ridiculous. Or as he'd like to say, that's what scandalous or what's the catchphrase that Stephen A has? 
I forget. I'm trying to remember which one, but like, yeah, I tell you, you crazy. Mean, I'm like, man. and like, Clay's literally Clay's Clay, Steph, and the Warriors are literally a, like a year and a half removed from their last NBA <laughs> title. title. Yeah, like that literally. Like they adds literally to the they point. won. Like they were down two to one in the series, won three straight. Like, and saying like, oh, we should trade Clay, like. I'm Ridiculous. sorry, Kendrick Perkins. Love you from our 2008 run, but that's that's one, of the du- <laughs> that's one of the dumbest takes I've ever heard. It's like, no, like you don't give up on one of your vets who, by the way, has battled like a year and a half worth of injuries. Two during- of the worst uh, injuries an athlete can have, especially in basketball. Mm-hmm. Your Achilles, then your ACO. And battled like, it all throughout, horrible. you know, the COVID back pandemic. And like, you know, came out of it on the other side with yet another ring Again, like let's put the a, physical aspect aside imagine the mental toughness he had to endure going through that during the pandemic where you weren't allowed to even talk to nobody mm-hmm. and that like that's why even though it, it pains me to say as a celtics fan because of what they did to us in the 2022 finals i, I respect steph and clay and the splash brothers they're they're an incredible dynasty and when the sun sets on it it you know, people will miss like and and need to truly appreciate like what we witnessed, yeah. you know, especially during the mid 2010s. Oh, yeah. Um, and those guys can still play at a pretty high level. You know, Steph is still I think they might have one more or less title run in them, to be honest. Possibly. I, and we'll get to the we'll get to the Warriors. Moment. Keep in mind, Steph might be playing at this level for at least three more years. Like I see Steph pulling up from 40 feet at 39 years old (laughs) if he chooses to play that long because I believe he got interviewed about it recently and he did say he was interested to playing well comfortably into his late 30s so I I hope he does because I I wouldn't like to get robbed from that yeah in the same way that like I don't want to see LeBron retire and it's going to be a really sad day in the league when when he does like same with Curry same with Clay like they're guys you you have to appreciate how much they've contributed to the league over the years like oh steph didn't contribute he changed it bro he changed steph the curry with league. the shop boy <laughs> like it, it's kind of sure. like it's kind of like kobe or lebron like it's a gen like he's a generational talent like kind of like how people yell kobe whenever they're throwing their you know tinfoil from their sandwich into the garbage can it's like you know when they shoot crazy threes and pick up basketball they're always gonna say chef curry absolutely 100 like, um but i do want against the warriors because they're although you, you have seen pretty good play from from steph and then clay's gotten a lot better and then Recently. draymond draymond a couple why is he shooting 44 percent from three <laughs> why and he made like four he made four of his four first in a five row weeks. it was crazy yeah including four and then in he and then he missed the next four he <laughs> Which and is a very the last go ahead bucket to win the game. That was ridiculous. Steph set him up perfectly, but I was kind of shocked Steph didn't take that shot against the Clippers. I'm not gonna lie to you. Because I, I yeah, like he had Paul George on him. You know how many game winners Paul George has had on his head? <laughs> like you had the perfect dude who gets destroyed in these moments. Nonetheless, he's a perfect defender, not taking anything away from him. But historically speaking, in clutch game situations, Paul George has been on the tail end of so many game winners. So Steph should have just popped it because he's him. 
But I guess he wanted to reward Draymond for having a good game from three. And I argue that that's going to make Draymond work a little bit more on his shot. So it might be a blessing in disguise or at least a silver lining from that loss. Especially because they led the whole game. I tend to agree. But like that last point you mentioned, they led the whole game is one issue I see with the Warriors right now. Because I think like three of their more recent losses were games where they led until the very end or it's the, you know, in the case of, in the case of the game with the Suns like a week ago, um, they were down by like 18 points or like 21 points. I think it was. And actually like Steph and clay were, you know, they sat for a while or maybe even clay didn't play that game. I can't remember. So it was really like, you know, their, their bench guys leading the way and, they actually start coming back on like, you know, Devin Booker and KD and like, you know, a Suns team that had a seven game win streak going is still looking. Do you, you remember know, when right Frank now. Vogel had to like put Devin to sit on the bench because he wanted to check back in so bad because he didn't want to blow the lead from the Warriors bench? And then KD and Devin Booker's vocalness essentially overpowered his ruling to keep them out. And they both walked up to the square stable to check in. And then they weathered the storm. And that's what they should do. And of course, Booker, you know, backs up with his play, had that game winning three this past week as well. Ooh, that was cold. Ice right cold. from the spot where Jimmy Butler missed against New York. Uh, I really wanted Jimmy to drain that three. He deserves it with his work ethic. And it was just short. And it was his first miss of the game, too. That would have been a hell of a game to end it like that. He would have shot perfect from three on four shots if he made that. And he missed by an inch. It was just short from the front of the rim. But that's why they say it's a make-or-miss league because you had another player in the exact same situation and Devin Booker drain it from the exact same spot a couple nights later. Exactly. But back to the Warriors... Mm-hmm. You know, one problem they do have is they need to close out those close games because even uh, this past week they were up by what was like 120 to 114 on the, the Kings and they somehow managed to oh. lose that game. I was shocked. Like I was watching it when it was Dude. like 119 to 114. I'm like, oh, the, the you know, and, and uh, who was it? I think it was De'Aaron Fox got stripped of the yeah. ball. Um, you were I was like, like, it's okay, over. It's over. The Warriors are winning, but. Little did you know, Malik Monk had an ungodly shot in him against Andrew Wiggins to secure a crazy W for the Kings. Much deserved, because honestly, when you're battling that hard in late-game situations, you deserve the win, specifically because you mentioned that they failed to close out games. I want to add that it's because of the turnovers, man. They've been having so many late-game turnovers because I think Draymond sat out five games, so... But, like, you can't really blame it on the chemistry because these guys have been playing together their entire careers. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Maybe they're trying to work the new guys into the rotation a little bit more, so they're trying to adapt to playing alongside them. But they should just have these plays memorized by now because they've been doing them for so long. It must feel like second nature to them. But it's usually ill-advised late-game turnovers that end up switching the momentum, and then the other team just capitalizes on the Warriors' turnovers and mistakes. Yeah, and that's actually what happened even in the Phoenix game with the uh, 
uh, you know, the bench guys playing, they just had too many turnovers at the end. They had like an offensive foul followed by, you know, strip of the ball. I think it might have been by by Katie or, or Booker, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, yesterday they were leading by, what was it, like 16 points or something on the Clippers. Like it looked like they were running away with that game. And, and then Paul George with a dagger Paul, three. Paul George called game. And Harden, too, he was like one for seven from the field to start the game, but then like made his next like, or made like five out of his next six shots or something. Harden did all yeah. his damage in the third quarter of that game. He had like 15 straight for the entire team. And then he just went back to facilitating. <laughs> and like, that's all, that's all it takes sometimes to like completely damage a, a, uh, a run by the team or a big lead. And yeah, I expected the Warriors to have a better, much better record than the nine 11 and, yeah, you know, we'll talk about other disappointing teams, but I, I do agree with your assessment that the Warriors could make another title run, you know, before the the Splash Brothers, you know, make the sunset on their NBA careers. For sure. Um, but between the late turnovers and blown leads, you know, it, it's killing them and it's dropped them all the way down to I think the eleven seed right now. Yeah. In the exactly. West. So could have major playoff implications. Yeah, do you have anything else to say about like the Warriors and how they're playing so far? Um, that's pretty much it on my end. I I would mainly say that you know Steve Kerr is a good coach. I hope he can kind of reinstall that mental toughness in the guys. Right, and right. I would also like to see a bit more consistency from Andrew Wiggins. I think uh, you know he was really bad to start the year, especially you know offensively. I I can't remember off the top of my head the shooting splits but it was really really ugly um and obviously Wiggins was a key part in that title run a couple years back so you really I would call him like the x factor of the Warriors team you know what you're gonna get out of Steph uh, Clay you know in terms of shooting in terms of playmaking then obviously Draymond's your sort of defensive staple you're you're you know in your face going to like He's a little bit the of a instigating like, glue guy. Instigator, instigating yeah. glue. That's exactly that's exactly <laughs> how I would describe it. Instigating glue guy. Um, maybe the one overpaid other instigating glue guy. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, if he's shooting forty four, he deserves every single penny of that twenty five million shoot, dollar if he contract. Keeps up those shooting splits. He more than deserves that yeah, contract. I that's mean, an goodness. elite role player. At- borderline star honestly if he's shooting 44 percent like he won't be averaging a triple single any longer i'll tell you that yeah for sure maybe one maybe a few other teams that have been disappointing this year that i want to talk about i know dude we predicted them to be in the third spot in the east and now they're wanting to trade donovan mitchell they're becoming a seller because they saw how they played without him and I forget how many games it's been since Donovan Mitchell got back from his injury, but as of what was it, four days ago when I put the numbers in, I mean, Mitchell's been really struggling to shoot the ball. He's only shot 36% from the field and 19% from three since Ooh. he's returned from his injury. That's horrible. Like he, he's really you know, not getting it done. And he he's kind of the staple of Cleveland's offense, right? Like last year... 
Last year, they finished in the top 10 in both offensive rating, and I think they actually finished with the number one overall defensive rating, too, to yeah. finish the 2022-23 season. Um, And so far this year, you know, they're 11-9, and nine, so they're only one game above 500. They have the 23rd-ranked offense, so I believe they finished, like, 8th or ninth last year, so a huge drop-off in terms of offensive production, which I would definitely attribute to Donovan Mitchell not first of all, missing games, but also not being himself on the court. And then even their defense has taken a drop off. They're in the top 10 as of today, but like they're, they're the eighth, they're the eighth ranked defense. Like, so they're clearly not, they're, they're good defense. They're just not dominant the way they were last year. Yeah. You know, really stifling teams, making stuff hard. I mean, they beat my Celtics. What was it? Three times in overtime last year. Oh, yeah, um, they had it for you guys last season in the regular season, absolutely. You know, they, they played pretty good defensive games, even in the, their, their one playoff series, but it was just, you know, the Knicks played slightly better offensively, and, you know, Tom Thibodeau's defenses always give you hard times. It really gives you fits. Um, I also want to add that, I think a lot of Cleveland fans are starting to believe the fact that they can move on from Donovan Mitchell because imagine just being a fan base when you're pissed off that you have a star player that averages 27 points a game on 50% from the field and 39% from three. Like, tell me one world where that would piss you off as a fan. Well, I can't. It's the Cleveland Cavaliers fans because they saw how they played in their run when Donovan Mitchell was injured and how they saw their team operate just basically brings them back to the vibe they had last year that you just alluded to yourself in which they have that top-ranked defense stifling teams. Why? Because everybody is a lot more involved in the entire game, specifically on the offensive end. They ran one play, I think, like every time per quarter, which ended up scoring four out of four times in a game against Indy, I believe, in which Darius Garland would uh, get a pick set by Evan Mobley. And then right after that, Mobley would uh, receive a screen from Jared Allen. And then they would essentially both roll to the rim and you have two options to catch two lobs. So it's just including more players within that action. And then you had another play where a double screen was being set on top of the key as well with Darius Garland going in for the penetrating action. And then you had him at, him pass it off to Mobley, who was rolling with him. And then you had um, uh, Jared Allen cutting from the dunker spot so Mobley would fake going up for the layup and then give it to Jared Allen. So you have the two twin towers engaging and lobs with each other and to each other. So you just see the full team's capacity unlocked, so to speak, when Donovan Mitchell doesn't have the, the ball every single position on the offensive end. Because at that point, what is DG doing? Instead of like including the rest of his teammates and finding open shooters like Struess, which has been playing amazing for them, they're all just sitting down watching Donovan Mitchell go to work. And sure, you need that sometimes in an isolation half-court playoff setting or whatever, but it shouldn't be the way you run like 80% of your plays, especially on offense, no, I, in which I completely you're agree. just and watching that... him work and you're not being involved, so you're not going to play better defensively. 
Well, that's what I remember from the Cavs last year is there was so much like off ball movement. Guys were always like setting screens, like going across the court. Like I feel like it really confused teams and, you know, plenty of defenses, especially those inferior to the Cavs couldn't keep up with it. And this year it's a lot more stagnant. I mean, the fact that they've dropped from top 10 to like, you know, bottom 10 in offensive <laughs> rating kind of shows that like, yeah, it's just a lot more like, can we get Donovan Mitchell going again? It's like, You're I mean, too reliant yes, he, he, on should him. Be, he should be the star of the team, but if he's coming back from injury, you know, you gotta be getting other guys involved. I mean, Struess was a great kind of, you know, bench role player type of pickup, you know, you have solid guys in like Darius Garland. You have. I love Darius Evan Garland. Evan, he's Evan just Mobley averaging is... too many turnovers. He needs to, because he's been injured himself a little bit to start the season. I just think the Cavs have been unlucky with their like star play because they rely on their backcourt a lot. Like that's basically where all their scoring comes from. Whereas like you have other teams like the Clippers relying on their wings, the Celtics relying on their wings. They're one of the few teams that rely on their backcourt like mainly to get all of their scoring. So once you have both of them, like we saw Donovan Mitchell, he was having a perfect start to the season and then he fell down with an injury and now he's struggling. Darius Garland was the opposite. He started off the season injured and now he's finding his groove. So unless they all start to gel at the same time and then stop watching the ball on offense so they try more defensively as a team and as a unit, then the more they're going to start climbing up the ranks slowly. And honestly, I want to go as far to say that I think their coach might be a front runner for coach of the year. Like, I think he's a dark horse when it comes to that because his coaching style can be attributed to a lot of why their defense was a top two defense last season. And I don't see him not doing it again. I think they're going to stabilize later on to the season. And I believe they're going to be a top five team in the East. I definitely think there's a lot of time left. And, you know, when we record this episode, we're only a quarter of the way into the season. There's so much that can change. You know, I, I mean, as a Celtics fan, my classic example, of course, is, you know, my own team from two years ago where they were 18 and 21 and then like a, few, a week or two later, 21 and 24. And where did they end up? You know, two games short of an NBA title, um, you know, finished with the number two seed in the East. So there's so much that can change over a season, over especially as season. guys get especially as guys get healthy and you really start to gel and figure out what your identity is as a team. Um, maybe one team I want mention briefly, but frankly, don't feel like wasting that much time. Marcus on is, Smart. <laughs> yes. The Marcus Smart Grizzlies, although Smart's been <laughs> in yeah. the last few weeks. Um, I mean, their defense is fine. I think they're, you know, like the 11th or 12th ranked defense, but they, they can't score. They just, you know, you know, Desmond Bain is, is a Do you very think they overpaid him? No, because they need needed someone and you know, John Moran cannot market. be relied upon to, to stay on the court as it seems. Um although he Speaking should be of, back. He, he should actually be back in the next there was a weeks. subpoena issued today for Morant oh, to testify really? in a civil lawsuit. So he's is going it about, through his is own. it about the uh the incident with like that seventeen year old kid where like he apparently like oh, where he beat him, him up. Yeah, he like beat him up and like threatened him. Yep. That's exactly. what I thought. Immunity so hearing like, is scheduled to begin December seven or December eleven. So 
it's literally next week or like you know the following week basically and you know that those are just unnecessary distractions for the grizzlies and he went from know. like the face of the league to like an afterthought really quickly and anthony edwards stole that shine all and the way fr- from frankly Jaws. frankly he deserved it like i used to really like jaws a person and a player but he wanted to be you know a tough guy you see know? like i i think ant does deserve it but at the same time i think he's way too overhyped because he's dubbed as the next best american young player essentially like because when you count like the lucas you know out devin booker's over 25 jason tatum's over 25 you know like yeah. the next you under 24 24 years or younger Everyone's saying Anthony Edwards, but that's just not true. It's definitely Tyrese Halliburton. Like, I'm sorry. He's just better in every single facet. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Edwards averages one point per game more on worse efficiency. Like, dude takes way more shots than Tyrese does. And he misses a lot more, too, obviously. But at the same time, he doesn't um, distribute the ball like Tyrese. He doesn't rebound like Tyrese. And his leadership cannot be maybe that's a little bit more comparable to Tyrese but he doesn't run the team you know like he has Cat he has Gobert kind of like running the team vocally whereas everything flows through Tyrese and everyone else that's the beauty of it and the Pacers because usually when everything flows through a player it's like Luka Doncic he has like a 40% usage rate and everyone's just watching him waiting to get a catch and shoot and pull up but in the Indiana Pacers offense, there's constant actions happening off the ball. And then every time Tyrese passes the ball, he's expecting it back. So he's not afraid to pass because he a wants to get the assist or he knows he's going to get the ball back to make another play while involving other players. Whereas Luca is a lot slower. He takes the pace down a lot in the game. And he has that, I'm going to stand around and look at you expecting a pass or watch you cook. And you can't really blame him because he's arguably the best player in the NBA right now. But at the same time, you can't really deny that Tyrese Halliburton is simply better than Anthony Edwards in every single aspect of the game, except defense. Yeah, and the thing with Hallie is like, there's a reason why Anthony Edwards is not in that MVP conversation because he's not really facilitating leading running the offense whatever term you want to use the way that Hallie is you know again I mentioned earlier in the episode Hallie's averaging 27 points per game and like 12 assists per game you know and that's because like he is sort of that go-to guy you can that's crazy you know easily expect him to score but you know he'll also distribute the ball and there's a reason why the Pacers have an historically good offense right now and you know culprit 1a of that is Hallie um this shows you how much the NBA's league has progressed in the last like 10 years like 10 Mm -hmm. years ago if you were averaging 27 points you were not expected to get assists or rebounds you could have like a 27 three and three stat line like that's basically what Melo was for the Knicks right he was like a low rebounding, low assisting player, low low rebounding for how tall he is. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, like relatively speaking, but he was a pure scorer, a pure mid-range assassin, especially from the post, right? Like that post fade from the mid-range with Carmelo, like that pull up from the midi, you can't deny that. He was a 27 point per game scorer 
over the course of his New York Knicks career. And he was a max player at the time. And now you're seeing players like Tyrese average that on top of putting leading the entire league in assists by a healthy margin, too. I think the next best player is Trey Young with like, I think, 10. So he's like two assists per game on top of Trey Young, which is known to lead the league in assists himself, you know? So yeah, the fact it's... that he's doing that on that efficiency while having 27 points per game tells you the amount of skill needed to be a star player in today's NBA. You're seeing the older generation of players like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Steph Curry. You're seeing them kind of introducing that new skill individually during their time, and now it's a collective expectation. No, I totally agree. And it's funny that you mentioned Trey Young because like, I feel like the Hawks and Pacers – are very similar teams, maybe For not sure. in terms of how They're they play, both super but in terms fast. of their strengths and weaknesses. Super fast-paced teams have very high-octane offenses. Nice way to describe you know, it. But both rank in the bottom five defensively, so yeah. like they really rely on their offense to carry them across the finish line. I mean, Atlanta um, tried to address that by hiring or signing DeJounte Murray, but then dude forgot how to play defense after he got paid. So He hasn't been shooting that great either. I mean, when he yeah. played the Celtics, he was like, what was it, like one for seven or something? Le- yeah. Like one for seven, like really. Oh, no, he went into the double digits. You're right. Yeah, no, he he went like one for eleven. Yeah, yeah, it was like crazy. one for eleven from the field. Like he he really. I think just... he was like two for thirteen when the game ended. Now that I remember. Yeah, and like didn't make. Oh, it if you want to mention bad games, can we talk about Aaron Gordon scoring a donut? Well, he didn't score a donut. He had free throws, but a donut in terms of the shots made while taking double digit shot attempts. I don't think we've ever seen a game like that by an NBA player for at least a couple of seasons. Like you talk about certain players like Draymond getting lucky, making like four threes in a row, missing that many shots in a row, you know, for Aaron Gordon, like he's not known as like a high volume shooter, high volume, like, you know, and his shot attempts are close to the rim. He's like a conventional power forward. Like, that he was... posts you up, he uses his strength, he gets close to the bucket, and he went 0 for 12? That's ridiculous. And then we can talk about how they still won. I forget who they played, but Denver still won when they were missing, like, their top four players. Like, was Aaron that... Gordon, uh, Nikola Jokic, and Murray were out, and they still lost to the Clippers, or beat the Clippers, I think. Yeah, it was Wasn't the it the Clippers? Game. Yeah. Because they, they not only had Jokic get ejected, they also had their coach. My, like, Michael Malone also got You know ejected. why? I think it's because, uh, who's number seven again? Uh, uh, on the, on the Nuggets. You, uh, Reggie, Reggie, no. Reggie, uh-huh. Yeah, Reggie Jackson. Yeah, yeah, Reggie Jackson. Um, uh, yeah, he used Jackson. to pl- he used to play for the Clippers, so he, he had like did. a monster game because he was yeah, playing against his old team. I think he was that on was the Clippers the... for the last three or four yeah. years. Right. So I think he was like just letting it out, man. Like he was just like, hey, like I don't care that we're missing the MVP, arguably Finals reigning Finals MVP. I don't care that we're missing our second best player who's arguably should have been an all-star, but injuries got in his way. But it really doesn't matter if you're not an all-star and you have an NBA championship while being the second best piece on your team. So 
Jamal Murray is very underrated in my opinion. But that's besides the point. And then you're also missing your like arguably third or fourth, no, fourth best player in Aaron Gordon because MPJ is their third best player. But even with that, he put the team on his back. He had like what 30 plus points, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was going against his old team. He was like, I don't care that y'all got Harden. I don't care that you guys have the best uh, 30-something-year-old wings in the game right now. I'm still going to beat you because you guys traded me and I'm a champion. And he definitely showed that. The Clippers curse continues to live. It does. And, you know, just want to quickly wrap up Memphis as a disappointing team. So, obviously, <laughs> you know, Bain, I would say Bain's not overpaid because they needed guys who can contribute on the offensive side of the ball and are pretty good defenders you know but also jaron jackson jr his defense is it's been fine but not as good as last year weighing one defensive player of the year and then he, he just hasn't been shooting the ball well at all he's been missing his short range shots he's been missing his threes um and the grizzlies unsurprisingly are a bottom two offensive team right now and have one of the worst records in the league and we we talked about in our preseason episode, we thought they were going to be more of like a play-in team this year, yeah. especially on account of the fact that Jaw was going to be suspended for back. 25 games. Um, but but they've just been way worse than I, I would have ever predicted. And He's coming back in a few weeks, hey? They're like already north of the... Yeah, he's already north of the 20-game mark, so... He should be back soon, but ultimately... You need time to work him back in. He hasn't played organized basketball since the last season. Yeah, it's gonna take a while for them to gel. Yeah, I'm. I think they might just end up missing the playoffs at this point. Not even the play in. I I like because you also have to think about like who else is like contending for it, and it's like in the West, it's tough. You can't. You can't. Like looking at who's seven to ten right now, it's the Lakers, Pelicans, Clippers, Rockets, and at eleven is the Warriors. And those are and those are like the teams that I think are like legitimate, at least play in contenders. You know, I think Jazz, New Orleans might slow down. That's New pretty Orleans much it. Every other down. team but like, arguably yeah. outside of Houston is gonna stay where they are. Like the only other teams I see below them basically are the well, they're slightly above them right now. Are the Jazz, who you know they're not good Portland at and on San either Antonio. the defense, yeah, either side of the ball. San Antonio's, you know, a fourteen game losing streak. You know, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Wemby train is really slowing down, and then the Blazers, you know, have a pretty good defense, but like they don't do anything offensively. They have the worst well, domination. Didn't show up to work this season. Hey, <laughs> they have a like the worst offense in the league and oh no you you know i meant deandre and refers to himself as domination yeah what's he dominating exactly that's what he called exactly exactly (laughs) that's why he called himself in his intro press conference in portland that clip went viral he's like oh i'm not deandre and i'm domination as though the Suns hadn't been trying to get rid of him for two years. That's what I'm saying. And he had a bad relationship with half the team over there. So he was like, oh, like, I'm actually well paid now. I'm going to kind of have, like, more touches, more a higher usage rate on this team. And he's literally done nothing. He's arguably been worse than he was in Phoenix when he was falling off in Phoenix, which is saying a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, outside and, of, like, Utah, Portland, and San Antonio, maybe the Rockets and Pelicans, I don't see Memphis being higher than those teams. So that puts them yeah. at 11, best case. So, like, 
I, honestly I think like, like maybe seed. yeah maybe try to like um get a higher seed to like learn how to gel together again with jaw before next season but at this point cut your losses and get a good player to add to that uh, team next season like what are you missing use this season to figure out the biggest piece you need a last missing piece to plug in which honestly I think might be a small forward because they're pretty set. Like they have Steven Adams, Jaren Jackson Jr. But then that three spot is always kind of rotating between players trying to figure out the best player to put into that spot. So if they find like a good wing player, like a Jalen Brown, for example, or like a Jason Tatum kind of archetype, that would kind of push them on top of the hump. And I'd feel like they'd be like, okay, see this year, next year. No, for sure. And of course, since he mentioned Steven Adams, it definitely doesn't help that they, you know, lost him for the whole season too. Again, he had a, an off-season surgery. Um, so that, that that's Memphis. I mean, yeah, I I don't see them being better than like the twelve seed. Um, one team that that's kind of hard to figure out because they have some impressive wins, but they also have had some brutal losing streaks so far this season. Um, and are a bit struggling a bit to get the offense going is the Clippers, you know, who acquired James Harden, you know, early in, in the season um, and moving Westbrook to the bench, which, you know, he basically volunteered to do with coach Ty Lue, which as we mentioned earlier in the episode, we strongly commend and shows how much Russ has grown as like a teammate over the last, like, Couple of years. You know, six, seven seasons since, you know, really since he was an MVP on the Thunder. Um, but I feel like the Clippers, they have all this talent. They just struggle to get consistent, first of all, production, but also consistent good health out, out of them. Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing as Memphis, where they haven't really gelled the way we thought they would. Because you have guys like Kawhi and, and PG you know, who have been on the team for a few years now. They're both very talented, can get buckets when they want. I mean, Kawhi, as you know, as a Raptors fan, you know, really can get his buckets. Um, He's a mid-range assassin. He's a very, very mid-range assassin is also a very tough-nosed defender, will really get in your face, make life hard for you. He's kind um, of slowing down on that end of the floor, but it's it's because, because he was injured for too long. Yeah, yeah, his knees are giving out. Like his lateral quickness isn't the same as it used to be when we had him at least. But at the same time, like with PG having better games, I find Kawhi getting more stops because he gets to rest on the offensive end a little bit more. Because he's playing that like traditional small power forward role, especially when PG has it cooking in games. You see Kawhi happily just sitting in the corner on offense and then guarding the other team's second best player a little bit better. Why? Because they have T-Men, which replaced Westbrook in the starting lineup, which is kind of a mini Kawhi, to be honest. I think Kawhi has been a good mentor to Terrence Men because you see Men playing some of the best defense he's ever played, which is a little bit maybe making up for the fact that he's shooting 14% from three. when he's a perennial 40% uh, shooter from the past three seasons. So I don't expect that to last a lot longer, but you can definitely thank him for his defensive contributions. He just forgot how to shoot the ball for a little bit, but I think he's going to get it back. No, I agree. And I think that brings up an interesting point, which is, you know, since they acquired James Harden, they're six and eight. 
Um, so I guess, you know, from what you've seen, Juan, what, what do you think are the main things that the Clippers need to figure out to really, you know, push themselves ahead in this very stacked Western Conference? Because um, really, for me, I think they have the defensive pieces and, Set, yeah. you know, and similar to previous years, they rank in the top 10 defensively. Again, I, I really use like offensive defensive rating for this. Um, it's really the offensive side of the ball they're they're trying to figure out. And again, you mentioned Terrence Mann shooting 14% from three, which usually he's like, you know, the guy that's like pissing your your favorite team off because exactly. he's just making these crazy buckets from behind the arc. Um you saw him but, against Denver in the playoffs a few seasons ago. He had like six threes. And they were very timely threes. That's what made it stand out. Like every time they needed him to hit one, he was clutch. I think that kind of was a huge reason why the Clippers kept him. But to answer your question, I think they've done most of the work already, which is kind of figure out how to include and manage their four stars in Westbrook, Leonard, George, and Harden. But honestly, what needs to be done is give them more time because Draymond Green actually came out and spoke on this because he has been in a situation where he's been surrounded by all-stars during the KD teams. He literally had four all-stars and he was like, remember Draymond in 2016 and 17, he was shooting like he was shooting now, mm-hmm. you know? So like he was an offensive threat back then. He was averaging like North of 12, 13 points per game, as opposed to his like seven or eight now. And that's a huge difference, especially when it's Draymond Green being surrounded by KD, Clay, and Steph taking those shots. Like if you're averaging 13 with those four by your side, then you must be playing some really good basketball. So he came out and spoke on this and he said that it takes time for new stars to realize how to play together, not because of only the sacrifices that has to be made, but because of the tendencies. Like you have to realize how, where they want the ball, like how they like attacking in certain situations, uh, the receiving player anticipating passes. Like we're seeing a lot of like flukes happen recently where essentially like you're seeing Kawhi pass it to James Harden, but James Harden's just running to go sit in the corner because Kawhi got the rebound and he's like a star player, which allows him to bring the ball up and initiate his own offense. So you're seeing him just like turn around and keep walking to the corner. And uh, the center Zubak had to yell at him and be like, hey, like you're hard. James, look, the ball's behind him. Like he kind of rescued it out of bounds right before it went out. So like little flukes like that, which will end up adjusting over time. Like the fact that they have their defensive rating back up to what are they at right now? Um, They're at seven. Yeah. So if they keep going up with the defensive rating, uh, I think that the offense is going to come with time because a team with Kawhi, PG, Russ and Harden, I don't think you're going to have much problem when it comes to offense specifically after having most of the season to work on that because you can remember when Harden was traded to Philly he did it he was traded um halfway through the season and that's the excuse he used in the playoffs the first time around because he didn't have enough time to kind of gel with his teammates but now you don't really have that because you have the full season with the Clippers so honestly it's just going to take the plays that they run to kind of perfect themselves over time because Paul George is having an amazing, phenomenal season. And Terrence Mann isn't going to continue shooting 17% from three. And with this new buy-in from Russ, 
to being that like energy spark off the bench alongside Norman Powell, which is already your super sub six man. I don't think I anticipate much problems going forward. And their defensive side, like we said, teams usually obliterate them defensively when they have a lot of off-ball movement. So like Golden State, before they lost to them uh, a couple of days ago, they actually won against the Clippers. Uh, I think they played each other twice in like the same week. Uh, Golden State won the first time because of all of their off-ball cuts and movement and just simple actions off the ball. Like you'd see... um, Draymond trying to set a pick for Steph and then when Steph tries to cut off that screen and Draymond has the ball two people follow Steph because of his gravity and then Draymond has an easy slip to the rim by himself not being guarded like he's so open that you already see Kawhi and PG shaking their heads before he scores like that's how much of a defensive breakdown they have as a team Whereas individually, every single player on the floor, with the exception of Harden, is an excellent one-on-one defender. PG can guard anybody. He can guard one through five. Same thing with Kawhi. Zubak can definitely hold his own against interior bigs. He's not that good on the perimeter. He's kind of limited in that set, but they're getting excellent value for him contract-wise. And then Terrence Mann is a baby Kawhi. He will guard anybody one through four. He could be switched onto your center if you want. He's like basically, in my opinion, up there with Mikal Bridges and Drew Holiday defensively. Like he will bother you that much off the ball. But when it comes to that off the ball movement as a team, that's where they're lacking defensively. So addressing those and with their stars continuing to gel, if they become a better unit, I think... Um, they're going to start doing a lot better. And you kind of see some similarities in Boston too, whereas in clutch situations, they're resorting back to these old means where they're just iso-balling, not having any off-ball movement, very stagnant offense. So I think that might be the Achilles heel for the Clippers long-term. If in clutch situations, instead of rising up to the moment, they start kind of falling back on their old habits And I fear that because they chose to put the ball in James Harden's hands, which arguably is better than Westbrook in clutch game situations because of his shot selection. But at the same time, I feel like if Kawhi doesn't influence James Harden, because Kawhi is a bona fide like clutch player, he shows up when you need him the most. Not the same could be said about Paul George, Westbrook and Harden. So if Kawhi doesn't kind of bring them off the hump as this last resort, you have to forget, you can't forget that all three of those players I just mentioned are in a contract year. So the Clippers' future is very uncertain. I don't think they're not going to pay them, but they're definitely paying the game with them right now in terms of, oh, we paid you, we gave you special superstar treatment like you wanted for the past four seasons, and we got nothing, not even a conference finals appearance out of it. So what are we doing trying to pay you guys again? They didn't renew them when they could have except they're actually waiting to see how their game will do the talking. So I have a lot of factors kind of dependent on this season for the Clippers because how much are you going to pay Harden? He he wanted to decline his player option that was 35 mil, so clearly he's expecting 40 plus. And how are you going to do that with two players that are better than him on that very same squad that are also both on contract use? So a lot of things to figure out for the Clippers this season specifically. And I think the other thing that's interesting is like what role does Ty Lue take as a head coach? Because, you know, 
guys like Westbrook, PG, Kawhi, Harden, they know the game of basketball. They've been in the league long enough. I mean, three of the four of them played on OKC together all those years, you know, made a finals trip together. Um, or, or at least Westbrook and Harden did. Um, you mean Katie? And Katie. Okay, how can we forget the OG OG Thunder? Um, it's sort of like, you know, as a coach, you don't want to be too overbearing because, like, these guys know what they should do to, like, make stuff work. But, like, also, you know, if something's not going right, you need to, like, step in and say, you know, we need to adjust this offensively. You know, maybe let's say Paul George isn't having a good shooting game. How can we adjust the offense so that we get the most out of other guys? How can we maybe get Terrence Mann going from behind three again? Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so I, I think the Clippers, they're kind of an interesting team because I could see them making a good playoff run if they can figure it out. But like, I could also see them being kind of the team of the past two or three years of like, they're just a play in team. Honestly, if that happens, then we got three of the best players in today's game not getting good contracts going forward. So I doubt that it will because money we hope is a we very, hope not. yeah, money is like a huge factor for like you saw what Kyrie did with Brooklyn, like players of star players, specific, they're going to get paid no matter how they do it. So unless they have a good run, I don't see the three of them returning to the Clippers as a unit because there's not enough money to make that happen. I know Steve Ballmer is like miles ahead of every other owner in net worth, but I don't think he's going to want to pay them because then they're going to put their foot back on the brakes. And because they got paid, then they have four years to kind of do whatever they were doing for the last four years, you know? But yeah, um, I kind of want to ask you about this conspiracy theory that's been brewing Ugh. that the Pistons are tanking to get LeBron next season <laughs> because they want to draft this kid out of USC. But <laughs> at the same time, like it's it's a conspiracy theory for a reason, right? Because you're not gonna draft Brawny like number one and miss out on like an actual number one type prospect to get a forty year old LeBron, or will you? What do you think? Uh, no, LeBron's, yeah. <laughs> LeBron's not going to end his career on a uh, team that has no shot at even a play in appear, maybe a play in appearance if LeBron shows up. But like, yeah, the Pistons just aren't a good team in any way, shape, or form. He said he's gonna join whatever team his kid goes to. So, the other thing about Bronny is like, he just recovered from a serious medical problem yeah. like six yeah. months ago. Like, he he's just got cleared. Cons- he's not consensus number one pick. And, you know, I hope Bronny, like his father, has a long and very successful NBA career. But, like, let's pump the brakes on this. I I, I appreciate you men- mentioning this as a conspiracy theory, but I, I think it's just that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's I, It's also, like, who wants to play for the bad boy pistons but they're not the bad boy pistons. not anymore yeah. we're 20 years ago yeah another ben, like quick ben, ben, oh, ben, Wall- yeah. ben wallace is not answering that phone yeah no he's way past that moment in his life but yeah another quick thing to mention is durant just uh edged the top 10 scoring list of all time in the nba so congratulations to him He's arguably having the best season of his career at 35, shooting north of 50% from the yeah, field and three, three on 30 points well. a game. 
Like, how do you shoot over 50% from three in the NBA on 30 points a game? Like, how do you do? Nobody does that. Steph doesn't do that. And KD's, like, recovered from an ACL injury. Like, this is sick. On, on the northern end of his career. Like, yeah. And then you know, the Suns, I the... still would like to see more from them, but they're they're a contend they're legit contender no, yeah no they're legit they, they yeah. still haven't seen bradley beal play um they're but legit. him and book have been a really good duo so far and i'm i'm excited to see what kd can do the rest of the season you know really bring out his vintage self yeah and then last thing i quickly want to mention is Basically, how Cuban is so adept at being a businessman that he sold his franchise while keeping control of being president of basketball operations. So basically, keeping your role as is, but getting Mr. Mr. billion Mr. dollars Shark out Tank. of it. Yeah, and he announced his last season going to be next season on Shark Tank. So obviously, he's trying to like do something in terms of like owning a new team or something business related that's going to be massive, like Elon Musk big type thing. So I'm interested to see how he does that, but it's worth shouting out that he literally sold the team without selling it, which is unique Ooh. as a historic deal. And then ending the episode on the note that we can get into next episode about how Ubre's crash might not have been a car crash after all. <laughs>